Today we start our first study in the last chapter of the book of Revelation entitled, What Life is Like Inside the New Jerusalem. Last week we looked at chapter 21. We saw the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, but now we're going to be looking at what's taking place inside of the New Jerusalem. Now I have a subtitle for this study, and that is, What Will We Do in Heaven? We get some ideas of what heaven's going to be like. And if you're a little afraid that you're going to get bored after, I don't know, two trillion years, uh, then we'll address a little bit of that today. Heaven might not be quite what you think it is if that's the case. Uh, now, this is a very rich passage. There are six verses, but it's a very rich passage. And uh, we're taking our time as we make our way through it. You remember that the book of Revelation is one of the only books in the Bible that has a blessing built in. Blessed are those. Here's what it says, Revelation 1, 3. Bless, uh, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it. You are blessed if you do it. Now, you also remember that Jesus gave a general blessing to all of the scriptures, that when a woman cried out from the crowd, blessed are you, or blessed is the woman that bore you in the breast that nursed you. And Jesus said, yes, and more so, those who hear my word and keep it. So we are blessed when we give scripture that high priority in our lives. And we say, I want to learn it. I want to know it. I want to study it. I believe it and I want to live it. Now, what we are seeing here is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy. We're, we're seeing what it's like, what God's plan was like in the very end. Now, this is also the 46th study in our current look in the book of Revelation, which means almost a year ago, and because we've taken some breaks and done some other things, maybe even a year ago, we started on Wednesday night studying this book, and we are just wrapping it up now. We'll have at least one more study, probably one more study, but maybe we will break it into two. I'd like to start by reading the text and then I want to break it down. So it says in Revelation 22, 1, and he showed me a picture, excuse me, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants will serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord gives them the light and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, this looks like a restoration and even an expansion of the Garden of Eden. The, the name Eden means place of pleasure or garden of paradise. Jesus referred to heaven as paradise. And here we see a river, which is mentioned in the Garden of Eden, here we see the tree of life, which is mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Here we see them ha us having fellowship with God in the future, which they had fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden. So God is restoring what his plan was for them in the beginning. So let's think about for a moment how God created Adam and Eve. He creates them male and female, but he also 
creates them without the complete knowledge of good and evil. He creates them innocent, we could say, without the knowledge so that they can have fellowship with him and they can walk with him and know him. But he also wants to give them a freedom of choice that they can choose to live with him and for him or they can choose to go their own way. And the only opportunity, or the first opportunity it seems that they got, they chose to go the other way. They ate the fruit of the tree of good and knowledge. And now they were not only aware of innocent, but they were aware of what was sinful and what was wrong. And they took the bait like Satan wanted to be like God. They wanted to be like God as well. And we fell out of that paradise. In verse one of this restoration of what it seems to be like a restoration and an expansion of the, of, of the Garden of Eden. It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now we would expect the water in heaven to be pure for sure, but this is the pure water of life. It is not just any water, it's the, it's the water of life. In John 7, 37 and 39, Jesus stood up and said this. It says, on the day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here we have a river that has the water of life and out of us is gonna flow a river of living water when we come to him and drink. And then it says, but thus he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so the Holy Spirit flows out of us like a river of living water. And we would say that this river in heaven at the very least represents the work of the Holy Spirit still in heaven. They are rivers of living water. Now, remember that Jesus had a conversation in the book of John as well with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. I want to read you some of that account. This is John 4, 10 through 12. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? The answer to that, by the way, is yes. If you've ever read the account of Jacob, then you know yes and yes and yes. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So not only would this pure water flowing from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb represent the Holy Spirit, but it would also represent eternal life that we are going to be living with him. Now we're going to talk about the concept of time here in a moment, whether or not time is passing in heaven. This is a question we brought up last week. God created the time, space, matter continuum. And we are living in that. God is living outside of the time, space, matter continuum. And so when we go into eternity, will we enter into eternity as he knows it? 
or will time pass? We'll discuss that here in a few minutes. Now, here's an invitation. This is later on in this, in this chapter. We'll get this next week, but I want you to have the invitation now because this is not an invitation he's giving to the people that are in heaven. This is as he's wrapping up the book of Revelation. He gives an invitation to anyone who's reading it. And this is Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the spirit says to the bride, or in the spirit, and the bride say, come. And let him who hears, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's to anyone who may be here who decides I really want to follow Christ. I'm done living for myself and I am ready to live for him. Then you can come and freely drink of the water that is given. This is the free gift of salvation. And, and the living water in the form of the Holy Spirit will flow out of you as well and into the lives of all of those that are around you. You will become that light. You will be like the city that is set on a hill whose lights cannot be hidden. Now, in verse two, we're told that in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, so the river's coming down the middle, and then on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Now, it's funny to me, and I bring this up often, but it's funny to me what theologians argue over what commentators will argue about and spend so much time talking over. Is this a tree of life? And if it is a tree of life, how can it be on both sides of the river? I think this is the tree of life. It doesn't have to be and trees of life because you could have a tree of life that's big enough that it grows over both sides of the river. In fact, if this is really going to be, as we're going to see, the leaves for the healing of the nations, this could not be a small tree. This would have to be a large tree. But it also seems to me that if God wanted to say there were trees of life, that he very easily could have said trees of life instead of the tree of life. He's obviously pointing back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were told you can eat freely of all of the trees that were in the garden, but of the tree in the middle of the garden, you can't eat. They ate of the tree in the middle of the garden. And so God ends up barring them so that they cannot eat of the tree of life and live forever. So it seems that this is a truly life-giving tree and that perhaps God put it in the garden to give them life forever because on the day they ate it, they died, meaning that they were going to die. That put their death into motion on the day that they, that, that they ate it. Genesis 2.9 says, and out of the garden, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life, which is also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we're told both of them. But then in Genesis 3, through 24, then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Notice this is another one of the one of us passages. We talk about the complexity of God in the Old Testament. Let us make a man in our own image. God has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground which was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. A flaming sword which turns every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
So it seems like they would have been able to eat it in their sinful state and not to die. And now the tree of life is in heaven again. Now we've been given the gift of eternal life. Do we have to eat of this tree to maintain that eternal life? Again, this is things that people argue about. I don't know that we need to argue about it. If we do, we have access to it. If we don't need to need it, we have access to it. We're able to eat of the tree of life as well. Now going back to it, notice a couple more things it says here. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits. So when I was a kid, I was told that Adam and Eve ate the apple and that caused them to sin. And of course, the fruit's not the apple, right? We know it's, it's tomatoes. It's not apples. That's what we, I don't like tomatoes, so I decided to come up with that. However, there are 12 different fruits and notice, notice each yielding its fruit every month. Now, it's talking about eternity now. We're in eternity here. And so if each tree is yielding its fruit each month, it would seem that we are marking time, that we are not living outside of time, but that we are marking time. That would at least be what this indicates. Every month there's a different fruit that's on the tree and we're able to eat of those, the fruit. Now that also tells us that we're going to eat. Now we knew that because the Bible says that on our glorified bodies, we're going to be like Jesus. And so Jesus was able to enter into a room where the doors were locked and the windows were barred and show up and scare them. And then he also said, give me some food. And he sat down and he ate with them. He also said he's going to drink in the kingdom of God. And so we know that we're going to be able to eat and we're going to be able to, to drink. What other than that? I don't know. I was asked in our Q&A today. We do a Q&A every Wednesdays and Saturdays at four o'clock. I was asked whether or not our glorified bodies were going to have blood in them. And um, I, I don't know. I kind of think maybe so, but I don't know whether or not that's the case. But it does seem that they are marking months here. But again, we have the river that was, there's a river in the Garden of Eden. We have the tree of life here. Very much seems like God is showing us what eternal life is going to be like or, or, or restoring the Garden of Eden. Now the leaves also, we're told, are for the healing of the nations. And this is interesting to me that we've gone all of this time and we've had all of the nations. God said that, that the Messiah was going to bless all nations or the seed coming from Abraham was going to bless all nations and that still in heaven, we have the distinction of nations. Seems to me that God doesn't mind us being distinguished by being different nations. In fact, it says earlier in the book of Revelation that that there's going to be those worshiping from every tongue, tribe, and nation before the Lord. I had somebody share with me that they thought that was one of the reasons that universalism was true, that people were going to eventually make their way into heaven, that they might have to go suffer in hell, but it's going to be like a purgatory that you eventually make it up in heaven. However, I believe it could be true because God calls the babies the innocents in Jeremiah chapter 19, and so any child that dies from any of the nations would be in the presence of God, which is interesting. Bible also says that God determines the times and the places of everyone. So you are in the right place and you are in the right time. God says so that they might search for me, grope for me and find him because he is not far from any of us. And so the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now it says, we're for the healing of the nations. 
So did God have a plan for the tree of life in the Garden of Eden that the leaves would be able to, to heal the nations, but now they don't need it? Are the leaves edible? Are we going to snack on them while we're walking by? I don't know. I could get those questions in my Q&A as well, right? I have to say, I don't know. But Revelation 21, 24 says, and the nations and those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. So the identity of the kings of the earth will still be known. Those that held the position as kings and who are up in heaven will still know their identity. I need to give that for a little bit more for, um, a little bit more evidence for the fact that we will know who we are and we will know the people around us when we get up into heaven because of the passage in the Old Testament that says the former things will not come to mind. It just means we're not going to be up in heaven thinking, oh man, I wish I was at Calvary Chapel worshiping again. That was awesome. We're just not going to be doing that when we're in heaven. We're not going to be looking back on these days. We're going to be experiencing the wonderful days that we are in. But the kings of the earth bring their glory in and the nations too of those who are saved shall walk in his light. So there's still the nations that are identified. Revelation 21, 26 and, 7, 26 and 27 says, and they shall bring the glory of their honor of the nations to it. That's actually not the one I want. Revelation 21, 24 says, and the nations of those who are saved walk in his light. No, that's not the one I want. I want the other one. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or curses an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so again, a reference to the nations. And I find that interesting. Now, I had said last week that I didn't look up how big the um, uh, New Jerusalem is but that it was big, all right? So I took time to look it up. I actually didn't have to do that. After the service on the second campus, uh, on our, on, after the second teaching last Wednesday night, I had people come up and tell me 1,400 square feet, 1,500 square feet, or square miles, excuse me, 1,500 square miles. So people already either knew it or they were looking it up when I said it. So they could come up afterwards and tell me what it was. So it's large. And as I said last week, I don't know that it's a cube or that if it's just not as tall as it is wide and the bottom is a square and we will be living there. But do the nations live out in the world? And who, what would be the distinction of those who are in the New Jerusalem and those who aren't in the New Jerusalem? I can't imagine we spend our entire time there, but there, there definitely is that distinction. Now, not only does it talk about the nations, which is interesting, but it also says, there shall be no more curse. Now, the Bible tells us that right after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, that there was a curse from what they had done. Now, a curse is different than the results that happen from sin. So there are consequences that happen when you sin, and that's not a curse. A curse is something that lingers behind, and there will be no more curse, because today, we are living under curses still. I want to read them to you. It says in Genesis 3, 17, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife 
which is not an excuse not to listen to your wife, by the way, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, say not to eat of it. And that's if anybody tells you to do something that's different than what God tells you to do, you should always listen to God and not what anybody else says. And you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. I told you not to eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. So this isn't a consequence of their sin. This is the ground actually being cursed. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And I believe that not only is it a curse upon the ground, but I believe it's a curse on work. Work is work and work is hard and it's not easy to make ends meet. There's a difficulty that's in that. And I think it's because God needed that after we fell. After we fell and we knew good from evil, God had to make things difficult for us in order to help us have the character that we need to have. Because adversity, uh, difficulties in our lives, God uses them to bring good things about in us. That's why we consider it joy when we encounter various trials. We don't consider the trials joy, but we consider the result of the trial joy. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's the joy. The joy isn't the trial you're facing. The joy is God's doing something with this in my life now. God's got a plan. And so God cursed the ground so they could build character of men and women who now knew that the, the difference between good and evil. Of course, the woman was under a curse of child pain and childbearing as well. And Satan was under a curse as well. Now, Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, his body shall not remain overnight on a tree. Talking about someone who was hung on a tree. The body shall not remain overnight in a tree, but you shall bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is cursed of God. Now, Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, we're talking about a couple of different curses here. Did you know that the law carried a curse with it as well as a promise of blessing? Do you know that God said, if you can keep the law, then there will be all of these blessings. The blessing of keeping the law, the, the law of Moses. Were you able to keep the law of Moses, there would have been all these blessings. You've got Deuteronomy 27 and 28 that talk about the blessings and the curses. And so people will read from Old Testament passages, like I think it's Psalms 91, I will heal all of your diseases. And they have all, and they, they misuse those to apply them to us today, not to people under the law, keeping the law. If you could keep the law, and I take it you could blow it in sin because everybody sins, and then you would go give your sacrifices, but you would keep the law the way that you're supposed to, then there was going to be blessings. If you didn't keep the law, and we know what that looks like, because over and over again in the Old Testament, they didn't keep the law and they fell under curses and God removed them from the land. Now, Jesus came and hung on the cross, became a curse to redeem us from the law, the curses of the law, but also I think to redeem us eventually from the curses that are on this earth. 
that one day during the millennium, these are going to be reversed and the new heaven, the new earth is going to go away. The new heaven and the new earth won't have a curse on it. But this earth will one day be redeemed from its curse because Jesus hung on the cross and died for it, for us. And we are no longer under the law. And this is a crazy thing about those who want to be under the law. Listen, being under the law and the blessings of the law, when you study them, are fantastic. They really are good. But the fact that no one kept them, but instead they got the curses. They also find it interesting that people will talk about the blessings of law, but they never bring up the curses of the law. And if you're going to read the blessings under the law, then you got to read the curses that are under the law as well. Now, I also find it interesting in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what you have, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul is bringing a curse on those who bring a false gospel. Let them be accursed. I believe for those who bring false gospels, like the Mormons, like the Jehovah Witnesses, that there is a, they are accursed, as Paul meant here. And he said, as we have said, so I say to you again, if anyone preaches anything other than what you have received, let him be accursed. So a real danger in teaching something that is falsely, clearly the false gospel. Now, I'll make a distinction again between what is heresy and what is error. Everybody has error. When there are differences of opinion, there can be error. But when something is major, like the gospel, how you are saved, and it's taught different than anyone who brings a different gospel, let them be accursed. This is, this is strong. In Genesis 12, 3, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. As far as I know, if God's talking about Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel, that's not been lifted. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know that that comes from the Messiah. Genesis 4, 10 and 11. And he said, what have you done? This is God speaking to Cain who had killed his brother Abel. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth because of an action that he did, the horrible sin of killing his brother. He's cursed from the earth, which he opened, has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A uh, a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. One more verse, and let's talk about this concept of curses. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 22, the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, O Lord, come. Now, when I read all those curses that were in the Bible, and I wonder if it's possible to be living under a curse today. God talked about visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. What people often don't read when they read that is that God in the very next verse says, and to the thousands, to those who live righteously. So that if you live righteously, God will give blessings to, a, to thousands of generations, just not to the third and the fourth generation. 
But I do believe it's possible for us to live in such a way that it affects our lives, that we carry with us what, would be, what we would consider to be cursed. That curse is broken by Christ. And so whether or not there are generational curses, which is a question that people ask a lot. If my dad was an alcoholic and I have a propensity to be an alcoholic, then is that a curse? Is that a generational curse? Well, that curse can be broken by Christ if it is. But I don't, I don't think that's exactly what he was talking about there. If you think I'm under a curse, I'm cursed because I did this. If the enemy comes in and lays that on you, then you can know that Christ is the one who can break the curse. And in heaven, there will be no more curses, which is what the statement here says. Now it goes on to say, and I love this. This is in the middle of verse three. But the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Now we get an idea of what we will be doing in eternity. We are his servants and we are going to serve him. I don't know how we'll serve him. This is the privilege of the angels. They serve him. They minister to us and they're serving God by ministering to us and we will serve him. We don't know what it will be. We're not told. But God and the lamb are there and we serve them. Number uh, verse four, we shall see his face and his name shall be on our foreheads. We're, we're seeing the face of God. Right now, no one can see God and live. He's too glorious. He's too bright. We're going to be in glorified bodies. We'll be able to see him. Peter talked about pre, uh, ref, uh, times of refreshment coming from the presence of the Lord. We talk about eternity being perfect joy and perfect comfort, but being in the presence of God. What an amazing thing that'll be. Now, those of you who may have lost someone, you'll understand what I'm going to say now. I lost my, my late wife in October of 2012, so uh, December of 2012, so it's almost been 11 years. One of the things that I struggled with over the next couple of years in my grief was her not being here, her personality not being in the world. If you've lost someone close to you, then you understand what I'm saying. And just them being gone, their personality being gone. There's a, there's a, there's a sense when you're in someone's presence. God, of course, is the greatest presence that there is. Maybe that's the greatest part of heaven. I've said before, it's not what we're going to do for eternity. It's who's there. And that we are actually in his presence, that we see his face. And if someone who we love can carry such a presence with them that we miss them when they're gone, think about the God we love and being in his presence and what we will feel when we are in his presence. So they will see his face. And they'll have their names on their forehead. So those of you who are against tattoos, get over it. You're going to have a tattoo. I don't know what the tattoo will be. Um, I don't know what it means that his name will be on our forehead. All right. I don't know. It might be invisible ink. So you might not have a visible tattoo. I don't know. But God's name will be there. You, it, it means you belong to him. He is your God and you are his people. And this is forever. Verse five, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp or light or sun for the Lord gives them light. 
Now we get a sense of the immenseness of God. There's no shifting of shadows, but this in, in this entire new Jerusalem, in the entire new world, remember the old heavens and earth fled away from the face of the Lamb on the throne? Now there's no need for any light. And get this, and they, this is the servants who serve Him, and they shall reign forever and ever. What hymn is it that we sing? where we say, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's great, right? But we're going to reign forever and ever with him. Not only are you going to serve him, but you are going to reign with him. Listen to what Peter calls us as Christians. I don't believe we really know our identity, who we are in Christ. We may have an identity from something else, you may be a doctor and you get your identity from being a doctor. You may have something you've accomplished in your life and you get your identity from that. But your real identity is much greater than that. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal, meaning you're going to rule, and priesthood, meaning there's nothing, no one in between you and God. A priest stands between the people and God, but he's got access to God. And we have access to God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So your mom was right when she said you're special. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that is true about every one of us here. We all that have come to him heard the call and we came out of the darkness and into his marvelous light who once were not a people. We may be from all these different nations and we once were not a people, but who are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, excuse me, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God's been merciful to us. So grace is when you receive something you don't deserve in a positive way. That's grace. Someone is, is they, they, they give you something. That's grace. Justice is when you get what you deserve in a legal way. That's justice. And mercy is when you don't get what you deserve in a legal way. When you are found guilty, but the sentence is commuted, that's mercy. Some might say then it wasn't justice, but that's the connection to mercy. And so we didn't have mercy, but God had mercy on us. And we all know what that's like. I don't know if you've ever been hurt badly and had somebody come and show mercy to you, but that's what God has done to each one of us when something has happened and you need someone to help you. We don't like to be dependent on people, but from time to time it happens and we need someone else to show us mercy. It makes me think of a, a little while ago, there were a couple that were stranded and we heard them say that their battery had died. Now they had no idea who I was. So we pull up and, and my wife's got her window down and I say to them, you guys, your battery died? And I don't have jumpers, do you, uh, jumper cables, do you? And they didn't have jumper cables. And then I said, hey, he's standing there with his wife. And I said, hey, we could take you home if you need to go home or, or do whatever, take you wherever you need to go. And the guy goes, ha, uh, uh, no, we're good. <laughs> and, and after we drove away, I thought that laugh was funny 
because he was thinking, you think I'm getting in a car with you? I don't know who you are to go get mass murdered by you. And my wife said, I hadn't even thought about him not knowing who you were. It's like, I can help you if you want to. I can take you where you want to go. But it's like, uh, no, I was trying to show mercy. And sometimes we don't take the mercy someone gives. We might be suspect of it. Daniel 7:27, speaking again of, of reigning forever and ever. Then the kingdom, uh, this, is, this is the passage where you have the ancient of days on the throne and you got the son of man coming on the clouds to the ancient of days. This is the Old Testament. This is the concept of what some Jewish commentators have called the two powers of heaven, one of them being human. So you've the ancient of days, thrones are set up. The ancient of days is there, that's God. And the son of man comes on the cloud to the ancient of days and is given dominion and power and a kingdom forever. This is that passage in Daniel chapter seven. But here's what it says, which is more specific. It says, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So we will even back in the Old Testament, the idea that God's people would reign with him. I can honestly say, I don't understand this. I'm getting a clearer picture as time goes on, but I don't know that I've got a really clear picture about it. Now, let me give you three things in closing. These these six verses are rich that talk about our eternity. They are going to be a little bit out of our reach. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. But the spirit has shown us such things. So we're beginning to get a glimpse in them. Uh, it said it says in Corinthians, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Then we will know as we are known. Which I've always thought about us knowing God like we're known. But maybe it's we'll know ourselves like we're known one day. Like when we see God, like Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up, said, woe am I, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He didn't talk about how great God was. He talked about how, how bad he was. And maybe in that day that we know as we're known, it's we'll know God and then we'll realize, God, that you ever had mercy on me. What an amazing thing. But three things in closing. That was a fourth I added in. <laughs> had you come to Christ and drunk of the water, the living water that he has offered you? That's an invitation at the end of the Bible. Any of you who are thirsty, come unto him and drink. You are called to be a disciple, not just receiving Christ, finding forgiveness and getting your validation paid for heaven, but you are becoming a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my, fo my follower, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. That's what we do. And you today can say, I want to live for you. I want you in my life and I want to drink of the water that you will give. Number two, water of life. Water is life. Without water, you don't have it. You think heaven, of course, has a source of water in it because water is life. You don't go, there, there's no, the reason towns are in the place that they are in, I'm talking about lasting towns, is because there was a water source. The reason Tucson is here is because there was a water table in what now is downtown Tucson that was very near the surface. And people settled and they could dig wells that weren't that deep and be able to get into the water source. 
If there's not water, if there was another reason, like a gold mine or a silver mine, those are, are gone by now. There has to be a water source. And so God gives us life. This is an example of what life is. It has to come from him, that spiritual water. And finally, what an incredible thing that we are going to live in God's presence. What will God's presence be like when we don't have the, the shortcomings of this body that we have that blinds us from what his presence is? If coming to Christ and giving your life to him is times of refreshing coming from the Lord, how much more will it be when we are actually in his presence? Next week, I believe we'll be looking at the last study in the book of Revelation. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to consider what inside the new Jerusalem is going to be like. The throne of God and the Lamb, the river of living water coming from it, the tree of life on both sides of the river. And us seeing your face and serving you and reigning with you. Lord, it is a rich look into what we barely are getting a glimpse of, of what this eternity will be. Help us to live for you now because we love you. Not because we just want to be there, but because we love you and we want to serve you and follow you. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.